Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. I get the honor and the privilege to finish up the series that we started a few weeks ago called Unreasonable Doubt. And as Pastor Rocky explained the first week of this series, the whole idea behind this series is that any doubt that we may have when it comes to our relationship with God, any doubt that we have of our faith, it is unreasonable. There's no reason for it because God has an impeccable track record of always, always, always coming through for us. But as Pastor Rocky shared, Satan wants to steal our faith from us. The devil wants to take our faith because he knows that that's what is going to get us through difficult times. And so it's important for us to guard that faith. Week one, he talked about disappointed doubt. He talked about how sometimes we become disappointed and even offended at God because he doesn't come through the way that we expect him to come through, but that we need to understand that his ways are higher than our ways. And we can trust him because he always, always has our best intentions in mind. And then in week two, Pastor Rocky shared about double-minded doubt. He said this, he said, in the middle of the greatest doubt, the greatest faith is born. In the middle of the greatest doubt, the greatest faith is born. Talked about doubting Thomas and how physically he looked a lot like Jesus, but he did not have the faith that Jesus had. And we as Christians kind of fall into that same trap, that we uh, are double-minded, we're Christians in our values, but not in our faith. And we've got to make sure that those things match. And then last week, we talked about dignified doubt. Dignified doubt is that time when you feel like God asks you to do some things that are just beneath you, that you're better than that, or you've achieved a certain status in life, that you're not going to bow down to some of those things that he asks us to do. And we realize that Naaman in the Old Testament experienced this with this disease of leprosy, and he was asked by the prophet to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. It was beneath him. He was too dignified to do it, but God taught him humility through this whole experience. You see, Naaman standing on the bank of that river never thought, and never doubted rather, that God could but he, he doubted that, that God would. And that's the same kind of doubt that we wrestle with, isn't it? We know that God has the capability to do anything, to heal us and to provide for us, but sometimes we just doubt that he will. But we realize that we have a Savior who humbled himself, took on the cross for us, and that he has already waded into that situation. And so as we enter in and step out of our comfort zone, we're just meeting him where he's already been. So today we're going to pick up where we left off and finish off this series with distracted doubt. Look at somebody beside you and say, distracted. Look at somebody else and say, distracted. How many of you are distracted now? How many of you... With a show of hands, to be very, very honest, how many of you would admit that you are very easily distracted in life? You are very easily distracted. I'm amazed. I am absolutely amazed. This happened last service too, not just by the volume of hands. I'm very surprised by the volume of hands of those of you that think that you're easily distracted, but how quickly those hands go up. So you are not distracted in that moment, apparently, because it was like, you're like, that's me, you know? In a room like this, you know, where you're trying to focus on one thing and all these things are happening in the peripherals and it's easy to get distracted, squirrel, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, you you have a hard time focusing in. Well, I would say that all of us in our faith, in our walk with Christ, that we struggle being distracted. We struggle being distracted and, and, and our attention pulled away from the plans and the purposes that God has for us. And that distraction can absolutely lead us to doubt. That's what we're going to talk about today, distracted 
doubt. There's no more obvious example of this in the New Testament than of Peter walking on the water. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's going to be our text today. And that's going to be in Matthew chapter 14. I'll give you a minute if you want to find that in your Bibles, follow along with me. It'll be on the screen behind me if you want to cheat. But let me give you a little bit of context before we dive right into this story about Peter walking on the water, which is probably a familiar story to a lot of you in the room. But right before we pick up in verse 22, I want to tell you about what happens right before then. Right before then is another really famous instance in the Bible, another famous miracle that we've dubbed the feeding of the 5,000. There was this crowd that was following Jesus around. He was doing miracles. He was teaching, and people were following him, and the numbers just grew and grew and grew and grew. And finally, it was getting late into the evening one day when Jesus was still teaching, and all the disciples said, listen, it's getting late. These people are hungry. Let's send them home to get something to eat. And Jesus said, we don't have to send them home. And he took a boy's lunch five loaves of bread and two fish. He prayed over it and then he handed it to the disciples. And then the disciples, all 12 of those men, walk around just handing out of baskets food that never stops coming. And so they feed over 5,000 people with one boy's lunch. It's amazing because these disciples got a chance not just to sit on the sideline and watch a miracle happen. These disciples who followed Jesus everywhere that he went, these disciples actually got to see the miracle, feel the miracle, be the one that delivered the miracle to all of these people. It's an incredible, incredible story. And so that happens just prior to where we picked this story up. In Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 22, it says, immediately, so that was the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately after that, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. You ever sometimes just read the Bible and you forget how amazing things are because you've read these stories, you know? That's pretty amazing. Like, we just kind of zip right by that. Jesus came walking on the sea. Jesus is doing something that has never been done before in the history of humanity. And so he's walking on the sea, verse 26. But then, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, let me just push the pause button just for a second. Let's talk about this, okay? I like to, when I read the Bible, specifically stories like this, I like to try and put myself in these situations, figure out what's going on, what's going through their minds. Because it's amazing to me, these poor disciples, God bless them. I mean, seriously, they just don't have a clue. They just don't get it, right? You've got this boat full of guys that literally, just happened to be there when Jesus performed this miracle to fi feed 5,000 people. They had their hands in the baskets. They saw it firsthand. They delivered the miracle to people. They know that Jesus is capable of supernatural things. They had already seen enough in their lives for that to make sense to them, that Jesus can do outside of normal things, right? Supernatural things. And they're on this boat, and the wind is, is rushing in, and the waves are crashing, and it's a rough sea that night, and so they're all watching out to see what's going on, watching out for land, just kind of keeping an eye out. And all of a sudden, something comes walking up on the water to their boat, okay? Just think about this. They just left, maybe not even hours ago, this miracle, supernatural Jesus makes all this happen. This thing walks up, and what is the first thing that they assume? Well, it's got to be a ghost. Why would it not be Jesus' disciples? Come on, get it together, right? 
And so Jesus walks up and they start freaking out. I mean, freaking out. I can only imagine the scene on this boat, these grown men crying out in fear is what it says. Like little sissy girls, right? Like, sorry if that offends you, but you're probably a sissy girl if it does. But um, <laughs> just kidding. <clears throat> Pastor Rocky be back next week so you don't have to worry about me preaching to you anymore if that offended you. But... You know, and so they're just like, I, the way that I see it, like, uh, you ever been to the movie theater and seen a scary movie in the movie theater? You know, there's always that one person that screams really loud. It's usually the dude with like the really low voice that's all cool and big, you know? And then when the scary part happens, like he screams like five octaves higher than he probably should be able to do. I, I picture 12 guys doing this, like running over each other, trying to get out of the way because ghost, 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 because that's the logical explanation for disciples. But see, here's the thing. Before we pile on the disciples and say, those morons, can't get it together. Uh, we're the disciples in this story. Just always have that in mind when you want to make fun of disciples. We're the disciples in this scenario. And so they're freaking out. They're afraid. They're scared. They don't know what's going on. And this is how Jesus responds in verse 27. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. I want to read that again. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid afraid. You see, Jesus always chooses his words carefully. All through the New Testament, when you see Jesus speaking, if you have one of those fancy Bibles where the print is in red, every time you see that, every time you see Jesus speaking, his words are carefully selected. He doesn't waste words. Every word that he spoke was intentional. It was for a meaning. It was for a reason. And so when he walks up on these disciples that are freaked out and they're scared, they're in the middle of the ocean and the, or the sea, and the sea is going crazy and there's wind and waves. They think they've seen a ghost. And the words that he chooses chooses to give them is take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And although he said those words 2,000 years ago while he's walking on water, those words carry the distance of time because he still tells them to us today. And if you walked in today and you feel like you're on that boat, you feel like life is crashing in on you, you feel like there's so much fear because of unknown or because of circumstances, I want you to know that Jesus says that same thing to you this morning. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus wants you to know that he's with you. In the middle of your circumstances, in the middle of your storms, Jesus is there. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. He starts talking to the disciples. He tells them to take heart. Don't be afraid. Verse 28, here it comes. I love Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. I love Peter, man. Peter's bold. He doesn't care. Like all the other disciples are still scared. He says, you know, Jesus says a, a couple sentences and Peter's like, oh, that's you. And I want to come out to see you. <clears throat> he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Let's just pause here again for just a second. I want to ask you a question. This is a serious question. Have you ever seen anyone begin to sink? Like any human being ever jump off of a diving board into, <clears throat> excuse me, into a, a body of water and just begin to sink? Like, is that how you would describe somebody like getting into water? No, because that doesn't happen. That defies physics and the laws of gravity and whatever other physics things I don't know about, right? Because I went to Bible college. I don't know those things, right? But when you jump into water, you don't begin to sink. You sink or you float. Those are the options. There's nothing in between. 
But for some reason in this story, Peter, as he is being distracted and as he's starting to doubt, he starts to sink at a pace that in my mind goes something like quicksand. I don't know if that's how it happened. This is my fantastical brain. It's my story. So let me tell it the way I want to. So kind of sinks down and as he's sinking down, it's somehow enough time for him to communicate with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Like he came out, he stepped out, he's distracted, he's doubting the situation and Jesus still gives him enough time to cry out to him. That's how merciful, that's how amazing God is. That's how loving of a savior we have because even when we step out there and we get ourselves outside of our comfort zone and we start to sink because we're distracted and we even doubt God, he gives us chance after chance after chance to call out to him. And so he calls out to him with the quickest most important prayer that Peter's ever prayed in his life, and it can be the quickest, most important prayer that we ever say in our lives, Lord, save me. Peter has no idea how to help himself in this situation at all. And so he does the only thing that he can. He grasps for the only words that he can use in this moment as he is beginning to sink, save me. Lord, save me. And in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you that as you have said in your word, it is living and it is active and it is powerful. And God, I pray for that today. I pray that it would come alive to us. I pray that as your word says that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word that our faith would be increased in our lives to step out into faith in the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I took my daughter who was about four at the time and uh, my wife's niece who was about seven or eight at the time to the, uh, the happiest place on earth, which is the biggest lie on earth. It's Disney World, right? If you know me, you know how I feel about Disney World. I have a love-hate relationship with Disney World. I love to hate it. And um, so we went. We went because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a really nice guy. <laughs> That's why we went to Disney World. My wife is fanatical about Disney World. She has instilled that in our daughter who is fanatical about Disney World. But now I've got a son who's turning one this week and over my dead body will that kid be fanatical about Disney World. <clears throat> And so we take, uh, this is before our, our son was born, and so we take our daughter and our niece, we go to Disney. I, you know, I, I talk a lot of trash. I talk a lot of trash. But there is a favorite part of Disney that I have. There is a favorite part of Disney. Now, for all big and bad that I talk, there is a favorite part of Disney that I had. And that was coming up in this trip, and so we were leaving. That's my favorite part of Disney. So we were leaving Disney. <laughs> And we were driving uh, in between Orlando and Tampa on I-4, which is like the worst interstate in the entire universe. Uh, and so we're driving on I-4 because we're driving back to Clearwater to drop off our niece. We're in the far left lane uh, because I know how to drive and I was going faster than the people that were in the middle or the right lane. Can somebody say amen? And so um, <laughs> that was for somebody. <laughs> God speaking to somebody in this room. And so I'm in the left lane and I see all the cars in front of me brake lights just in my lane. Not in the other two lanes, just in the left lane because Florida, 
right? That's how we drive in Florida. And so, um, you know, I see all these brake lights, and so I know I'm going to have to brake pretty quick. And so I apply a lot of pressure, brake pretty quick, and I was able to stop before I got to the car in front of me. I don't know what happened up ahead, but the, all these cars stopped really quick. And then I got one of those kind of intuitions. You ever been driving, and you kind of have this, like, you know what's going to happen before it happens, and you hope that it doesn't happen? Well, it happened. And so I, I, I hit my brakes really hard, and I look in my rearview mirror, and I see this car barreling down the interstate. Didn't even look like they were trying to slow down, and I knew that this was going to happen. There was going to be impact. And sure enough, this guy rear-ended me going I mean, anywhere between 60 and 70 miles an hour with my family in the car. I had my foot off of the brake, thank God. But when he hit me, he hit us on the, the, the rear driver's side, and when he hit us, it shot us out across all the different lanes of traffic. So we're in a far left lane. It shot us out of our lane, over across the middle lane, over across the right lane, over across an on-ramp lane, fishtailing, swerving, going sideways, and then we ended up on a grass shoulder, literally going sideways, right? I had nothing to do to control it. I couldn't, I, if I'm pulling a wheel, nothing was working, and we are going at a high rate of speed. And I see there's this embankment that's coming up, there's a barbed wire fence, and then on the other side of this embankment is only, I can imagine, a ditch probably, and there's a lot of rain that week, and so I can only start to think what's on the other side of that ditch. And I just know, I just know in my mind, we're about to hit this embankment, we're going to flip over and we're going to end up upside down in this ditch full of water. I'm just, I mean, I'm freaking out. Miraculously, I do not use that word lightly, miraculously, we stop mere feet from the edge of this embankment. There are pictures, if you have them up there, that, that fence right there, that field fence right there is, uh, we're, almost, we're almost touching that, and on the other side of that was the other side of that ditch. We would have surely flipped had it gone any further than that. And so we come to a stop, and I somehow pry my fingers off of the steering wheel, and I look back to make sure that everybody's okay, and I look back, I can't even see my daughter Riley because all of the luggage from the back has been thrown all over the car. There's a beach bag that was upside down over Riley's head in her car seat. She couldn't see a thing. I think she probably ended up missing most of the accident. Maybe that's going to help us later in life. I don't know, but she didn't see anything. She just thought it was maybe like a roller coaster, right? And so... <laughs> She peels the thing off. She's fine, and our, you know, cousin, or the, her cousin in the back is fine. Deanna's is fine. I'm fine. The other driver that hit us uh, remarkably was fine. There was another car that we clipped on the way over all those lanes of traffic. Somehow, we only clipped one car, and it was just minor damage. You can see uh, some of those people from that car are right there um, waiting um, for the, uh, the emergency responders and the police and all that stuff. If you see, those are, those are grown adults wearing really bright colors because they were on their way to a My Little Pony convention in Tampa, Florida. I I promise you, I can't make that up. <laughs> Cannot make that up. Like, this day is not crazy enough, right? <laughs> and, and, like, we're waiting for the police report to be written and everything, and, and a couple of them, they were, they were really nice. I think they had good intentions, but they were like, you know, we love kids, you know, would it be okay if we came and talked to the girls to try and, like, take their mind off of things? Like, how about you stay over there and the girls stay over here and you don't come anywhere near us and you play with my little ponies and do whatever you do? I don't know. <laughs> So we're waiting and they're drawing up the reports and everything and I talked to the police officer and I said, sir, I don't think that the guy behind me stopped at all. I don't think he tried to put on his brakes. He said he didn't. He said he told me that he was on his phone. He didn't even look up. And I was like, are you kidding me? And then this driver has the guts to come up to me later and say, why did you stop so fast in the middle of the interstate? I'm like, you better hope I stop fast before I put my hands around your neck right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, how dare you, sir? How dare you? That's the exact words that I used, I think. May have been a little more colorful. I'm not sure. My family was involved. And I was like, your distraction almost cost 
my family, our lives, and then who knows how many other countless lives on this interstate today, and he realized, and I realized, that distraction can be very dangerous. In our lives in general, distraction can be dangerous, and in our faith, distraction can be very dangerous. Nobody knew this better than Peter, because he lived this out on the water that day. This really is, the story of Peter walking on water is one of my favorite stories in the entire New Testament. I love Peter. Right here, he makes history. Nobody except for Jesus had ever done what he did, and nobody did do what he did after that besides Jesus. And so he's, he's the guy that he really puts himself out there. He's the spokesman for the group of disciples, and he gets to accomplish making history that day by walking on water. And if we're not careful, we'll just read this casually and we'll see, okay, well, Peter just really wanted to walk on water that day. Like he saw an opportunity. Like Jesus walked up on the water and Peter was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. You know, and that kind of was his attitude. And he just wanted to do something cool that day that he could tell his friends about. That's not it at all. You see, I don't even believe that, that Peter's intentions in this whole scenario are to even walk on water. Here's what I think happened. I think that Peter's in the boat. Waves, wind, storm, craziness, maybe ghost walking up, a lot of fear happening in the boat, everybody's going crazy, things are just, just nuts, right? And all of a sudden, this thing that they thought was a ghost now is Jesus, and he says, don't be afraid, right? And so Peter, the light bulb goes off in Peter's mind, and he realizes something very quickly that I think all of us could stand to learn. And he realizes that if that's really Jesus, and Jesus is on top of the water out there, it's safer for me to be out there with Jesus than in this man-made boat that hands created, right? It's safer to get out of this comfortable position that I'm in and be with Jesus because I want to be with Jesus that bad. I want to be with Jesus so bad that I'm willing to get out of this comfort zone that I'm in and get over here where Jesus is. I've just got to be with Jesus. I've just got to be near him. I've got to be with him. I think that, that his primary focus, his laser focus was, I need to be closer to Jesus. The walking on water thing was just a byproduct. I don't think it would have mattered if it was lava or quicksand or dry ground. I don't think it would have mattered to Peter. He was not in it for the miracle itself. He was in it to get closer to Jesus. The miracle was the byproduct. Walking on water, that was the byproduct of him focusing all of his attention on Jesus and saying, it's better out there on the waves with my Savior than it is in this boat by myself. What would it look like in our lives if we figured out that same thing? What would it look like in our lives if instead of, of these, these man-made plans that we have for our lives and these safety nets and this comfortable environment that we try to surround ourselves with, instead of staying there, what if we had the attitude and the mindset and the faith to say, you know what, wherever Jesus is, that's where I need to be because that's the safest place to be. I'd rather be there than in that boat any day. I'd rather be in the middle of the ocean walking on water with Jesus than in a boat that I can figure things out in. So his, his focus allows him to step out of that boat and do what no other person had ever done prior to that or after that. He was able to walk on water. It was just that byproduct. It was that byproduct of that focus on Jesus. The supernatural is always a byproduct of focusing on Jesus. That's where our focus needs to be. That's where our laser vision needs to be. We need to focus on Jesus 
And when we do, then amazing things happen. When we focus on Jesus first, miracles happen. When we focus on Jesus first, there are blessings that follow. When we focus on Jesus first, supernatural things happen around us because we're focused more on him than on our own comfort. You know, it's amazing to me in this story, and I I really just kind of jumped off the page when I was studying for this, is Peter got this amazing opportunity. He stepped out of the boat. He did something that nobody else had done. He's walking on water, but he's still, he's still focused on Jesus. You know, in, in that moment in history, nobody had ever seen Jesus like that. Nobody had ever experienced Jesus while walking on the water with Jesus. Eleven other guys had the opportunity, but they were all in the boat. Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. And as he's off of the boat and he's walking on the water with Jesus, he gets an eye-to-eye view of his Savior. He gets this moment in time that nobody else got to experience an experience that he probably would not have words for because of how amazing and how intimate that would have been between him and his Savior, right? And when we choose to step out of our comfortability, when we choose to step out into the unknown in faith, knowing that God is calling us out to something or into something or away from something, when we do that, we get these moments with our Savior. We get these moments with God. And these moments with God define and shape our faith. I heard a story years ago of these missionaries that went to Korea and they started this underground church. And they were found out and they were arrested and they were thrown into this cave as a prison. They were held for ransom. They were trying to extort money from this missionaries organization. And so every so often, all of these probably 20-something, these missionaries and their, uh, their church members, they would come down every so often and grab another one and they would never see them again. They were bringing them up to kill them to try to get the ransom for all of them. I don't know all the circumstances that happened, but I know a couple things. I know that somebody smuggled in a really small pocket Bible, and so when they are in that cave, death is imminent. They take open that Bible and they have church, and they sing to God, and they worship their creator. They worship their savior in the middle of that circumstance. I don't know how it all went down, but they ended up, most of them, getting out of there alive. And the stories go that they would see each other in the subsequent weeks and months walking around town and they would stop and talk with each other. And they would always go back to the same moment. They would always go back to that cave. And they would say, do you, do you remember what it was like when we were there? You remember, you remember how close we felt to God in that cave? Do, do, you, do you remember what it, what it felt like? And then they would ultimately say something like this, which sounds crazy to us, but it made perfect sense to them. I said, do you, do you ever want to go back? Like, their connection with God in that moment was so strong and so real that they were willing to go back there into that moment just to experience it again. Because they made a choice to step out of their comfort zone in a country that we, we as Western Christians, we will never understand what that's really like. They, they, they got so far out of their comfort zone that just to go to church, they were putting their lives in danger. But when they did that and they worshiped through it, they got this experience with God that cannot be duplicated. It can't be fabricated. You can't take that away from them. But when we do things outside of our comfort zone, when we step out of the boat, we get a view, a glimpse of Jesus that we can't get any other way and that nobody else can tell us about. And so they, Peter's on the water and he's got this huge amount of faith to even get out of the boat and he's so focused on Jesus. But for all of his great intentions and monumental faith, he gets distracted. 
He gets distracted by the waves. He gets distracted by the wind. He gets distracted by all the circumstances around him. You know, he steps out in faith with Jesus fully in focus. And Jesus allows him to defy the laws of physics. He is literally walking in a miracle that is the byproduct of his obedience. He's walking toward Jesus. And all of a sudden, his senses, his mind, things that are coming in, the input does not match up. It doesn't make sense. He looks down. He does what every single one of us would do, right? If you're walking on water, I want to look down. I want to see what that looks like. How cool would that be, right? He does what any of us would, would have done, and he looks down, and he wants to see, and when he looks down, he sees all of these things that don't make any sense, and his mind tells him this doesn't compute. This is not natural. You should not be walking on water, and he starts to doubt. He gets distracted by the wind and the waves. He loses his focus on Jesus, and he doubts. And then we know that he starts to sink. You know, what's so amazing to me is that Peter is literally standing in a miracle. Literally, he's standing in a miracle. Him walking on water is supernatural. It is a miracle. It should not happen in the natural confines of what we know of physics. And so he's literally standing in a miracle, and he gets distracted, not by all of these other things, but he gets distracted by the miracle itself. So distracted, in fact, that he loses his focus of the miracle maker. He gets so distracted by this amazing supernatural scene that he's actually a part of and actually in that he loses focus of the one that's making it all happen. And I can tell you that when we obey God and we step out in faith, when we know that God is calling us to do something and we step out in faith, there will be miracles that follow that. There will be supernatural things that follow that. There will be blessings that follow that. Not because of who we are or anything that we could do, but when we choose to step out in faith, if we're focused on Jesus, remember that's just that byproduct that happens. And so when those miracles happen, the temptation is to get distracted by the miracle itself. If it's easy enough to get distracted by all the obstacles that we face and regular temptations, it's even easier to get distracted by the miracle itself. It's like this. It's like if you feel like you've stepped out in faith, you start tithing, or maybe you feel like God's calling you to give above and beyond, sacrificially, and you start giving, and God blesses you, supernaturally, just blesses you. But you get so distracted by that new car that's sitting in the driveway that now you can afford and by planning your next vacation that you're so focused on the miracle that you've taken your focus off of the miracle maker. Or it's like if you, if you pray and you have faith and, and you're obedient and, and purity and you're, you're just believing for that, that man or that woman of your dreams to come into your life and God fulfills his promise to you and he brings you this godly relationship but over time, you get distracted by this new love and you depend on them for your stability and your sufficiency. You're distracted by the miracle when you should be focusing on the miracle maker. Or maybe you step out in faith and you pray for that promotion. You pray for that new job and you get it. You stepped out in faith and you get it. It's a miracle. But you have to work 80 hours a week and you neglect your family. You don't observe Sabbath. You're getting so distracted by the miracle itself that you take your eyes off of the miracle maker. 
And I can tell you that Satan knows this trick all too well. He knows that if he can't get you off course in walking in faith and staying focused on Jesus by normal temptations and by just regular circumstances that happen in life, if he can't get you off track, if he can't steal your focus, if he can't distract you by those things, then what he'll do is he'll take the things that God gives you and he'll use that to to just focus on that and be distracted by that and you take your eyes completely off of the one who makes those miracles happen. So how do we do it? How, how, How do we, right now in this life that we live, how do we stay focused on Jesus? How do we make sure that we're not being distracted by the things that he, that he provides for us, the miracles that he does for us, the blessings that he gives. How do we make sure that we don't do that? Because for Peter, this is really cut and dry. Peter physically was standing in front of Jesus. For Peter to focus on Jesus, literally all he had to do was just keep eye line with Jesus. And he had a hard time doing that when Jesus was here in flesh and blood. We're going to have a difficult time doing it when we're believing in something that we can't see. But the key comes later on in this story. The key really is found in that last verse. How do we stay focused? How do we avoid the distraction? We stay focused and we avoid the distraction by making sure that God gets credit, that God gets glory, that he is made famous through these miracles, through these blessings that he gives to us. That last verse, if you read it in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 33, it does not really work out too well for Peter after this point, as far as his emotions are concerned, I'm sure. It says those in the boat worshipped him. When they say him, they don't mean Peter, they mean Jesus. Worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Poor Peter. Peter is the one with all the faith. Peter steps out of the boat. Peter gets to make history, and Peter sinks. Jesus saves Peter. They get back in the boat. The wind stops. The the waves stop. Everything calms down. And does anybody go check on Peter at all? Like, does anybody say, Peter, are you okay? That was awesome. Did you see what you just did? Did you see that you walked on water? You see that stuff that, bloop, see that sank? You didn't do that. You were on top of the waves, and you walked. That's amazing. That's awesome. Five it, you know? Like, nobody did that. Nobody checked on him to see if he was okay. Everybody just absolutely ignored Peter, and what did they do? All 11 men on that boat, and I would say that 12, counting Peter, went to just worshiping Jesus, worshiping their Savior, worshiping the miracle maker. It wasn't about Peter. It wasn't about his fame. It wasn't about Peter having a story to tell everybody else. It was about Peter doing something amazing by stepping out in faith and having this miracle happen to him, but making sure that God got the credit for all of it, making sure that God got the glory. Peter didn't jump in between the guys and Jesus and said, guys, what about me? How amazing am I? He didn't think to himself, man, I am amazing because I did this and because I stepped out in faith. No, it was all about Jesus. So how do we stay focused and how do we avoid distraction? We make sure that before we even step out of the boat, that our intention is not to get attention on us, but our intention is to push glory and fame to him. Our intention before we touch the water for the first time, before we take that first step of faith, is not to get any credit for ourselves, but we've got to make sure that our heart is right and we've got to make sure that our intentions are pure and we've got to make sure that our reason for doing it is to share his glory with humanity. That's what it's all about. 
And when we do that, when that becomes our focus, when we're so concerned about giving God credit and giving God glory, we don't have to worry about being distracted by all the things that are around us because our view is always looking like this. The great composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, not Sebastian Bach of Skid Row, but Johann Sebastian Bach of fame as a composer, wrote over 1,000 pieces of music that we know about, probably more. And every single time he would write music, on the bottom of the page, he would sign it with two sets of initials. He would sign it with his own, and he would sign it with the initials S-D-G. It was a Latin term. It stood for soli deo gloria. Soli deo gloria translated means glory to God alone. This man had something figured out. This man realized that it wasn't about him. This man realized that the talents and the abilities and the gifts that God had given him are not for his glory alone. They're for the glory of God. I just wonder, what would it look like? What would it look like if we signed all of our blessings and all of our miracles and all of our healings and everything God's done for us? I wonder what it would look like if we just signed them all. To God alone be the glory. What if when when we step out in faith and amazing things happen, we're so careful to give God the credit for that that we don't take any of it. God, it's only only God that can make it happen. I can tell you what's going to happen out of that is that we'll be faithful in little and then God will make us faithful in much. If we stay focused on Jesus, if we keep our eyes level with his, let's not get distracted by all the stuff Let's not get distracted by the waves. Let's not get distracted by the circumstances. Let's make sure that we don't get distracted even by the blessings that he gives us. Let's just stay focused on Jesus and make sure that anytime anything great happens, that we give him the credit, that we give him the glory, that we give him the fame. If we start like that, we won't have to worry about being in doubt, being distracted because we're gonna be staring at the face of the miracle maker. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.